Hello, and thank you for joining me at Just a Guy and his journey back to God. Today we're going to be in Acts 16, but let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for this time in which we get to gather and read your word. Thank you for speaking to us and loving us, loving us enough to give us this roadmap and this guide, which is your word. I pray that your words would be spoken, your words would be what we hear, your meaning for each of our lives would be heard. I just pray that I would stay out of the way, that you would be the one who is leading this, and that you'd be glorified and honored. I just lift up this time to you, in Jesus' name, amen. So, it's been a little while. I've been out sick. Um, my, My family was in town, well, part of my family, my oldest daughter's son, his, uh, her, my oldest daughter, her husband, and my, my grandson had been in town. I had gotten sick then and then had a relapse. Some people think it was COVID. I don't know. Um, I never had a fever, but I was just down and out. Um, thought I was fixed, started again, and then just got knocked out again. <clears throat> so, And then it turns out my girlfriend just came down with COVID, so hopefully I didn't give it to her. When I got tested, I was negative, so who knows? I think I was just sick. Um, but anyways, with that said, we're in uh, still in Acts, and we're in chapter 16. We're going to go ahead and, and get started. Um, but once we read the chapter, I'm going to read some Spurgeon. He has some pretty cool things, to, to some thoughts on, on Acts 16. And uh, so I'll go ahead and share that. And uh, so let's just start out with verse 1. <clears throat> Paul came to Derby, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jew, was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. Man, when I read that the first time, it's just like wow. Um, so he circumcised him because because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of of Mysia, they they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow, would not allow them to. I find it interesting that it's the spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the thing about about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They're one, so it's easy to interchange interchange the the name. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Tros. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Tros, we put out to sea and sailed straight straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Nepalus. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So, even Paul, (laughs) you know, we always think of the disciples and Paul, who basically was responsible for writing a huge portion of the New Testament as being very, you know, well-controlled men who uh, walked around and, you know, were extremely holy and always in touch with Jesus. Well, he was in touch with Jesus and he had, he had God in his heart and in his being, but he still got pissed off occasionally and got frustrated, as is the example here. He just got sick of this woman running around saying these things about him even though they were true. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer who commanded the guard was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their, their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I've, two thoughts come to mind. One is my carnal and man-made thought, which was, man, if I was another prisoner, I'd be kind of irritated with those two. It's midnight, go to sleep and be quiet. But then my spiritual is, wow, they're they're sitting there in jail, feet in stocks, not a good good hope for getting out anytime soon. And uh, they're singing praises to God. That's pretty cool. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Because if they had escaped, the punishment to him would have been torture. So it's better to die quick, or relatively quick, than to be tortured. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house, in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the, his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. That was a key. And threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? Nope. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. You don't do that to Roman citizens. The Romans and Roman citizens had rights that others didn't. They came to appease, appease them and escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas had come out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So there's some pretty interesting things there. One is just their faith. Hey, they have a dream. And because they're so in tune with God, they're like, all right, we had a dream. He's telling us to go. And we go. Then when they're, when they're beaten and shackled, in the middle of the night, they're still praising God and singing hymns. I mean, <clears throat> I would like to think I would do that. I'm going to be candid. Even when I was sick and not feeling good, and I was still able to function, I cooked my own dinners or at least something to eat. It's not like I was like deathbed. I just felt like death warmed over at times, but I didn't really sing. I wasn't singing and praising, that's for sure. So it's amazing when you're truly, you have that relationship with God. And I'm striving for that. I'm not there. I admit it. I get it. So with that, I just want to turn over and look at a little bit of what um, what A.W. Tozer has to say about one set of scriptures in that, in that chapter. He focuses on Acts 16, verses 30 and 31, where it says, He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And he says, he has two sections I'm going to read. It's, they're both, um, they're not too long. No, the first one comes from his book, Who Put Jesus on the Cross? No man has any hope for eternal salvation apart from trusting completely in Jesus Christ and his atonement for men. Simply stated, our Lord Jesus is the lifeboat, and we must fully and truly be committed to trusting the lifeboat. Again, our Lord and Savior is the rope by which it is possible to escape the burning building. There is no doubt about it. Either we trust that rope or we perish. He is the wonder drug or medication that heals all illness and sickness, and if we refuse it, we die. He is the bridge from hell to heaven, and we take that bridge and cross over by his grace, or we stay in hell. These are simple illustrations, but they get to the point of the necessity of complete trust in Jesus Christ, absolute trust in him. That absolute trust and belief gets stronger each day that we are in his word, that we live for him, 
and we see his, we see his actions and we see his actions in our lives. I'm got to tell you, I don't, I don't, I can't sit there and say, I mean, I believe I love him. I'm thankful. I just don't think I'm that strong yet. I'm just not a, as strong as I should be. And I think that's to some degree, it's a lifelong quest, right? I hope it is. Um, moving on. He has in his book, God's pursuit of man. He writes, God made man in his own image and placed within him an organ by means of which he could now know that he could know spiritual things. When man sinned, that organ died. Dead in sin is a description not of the body, nor yet of the intellect, but of the organ God, uh, the organ of God knowledge within the human soul. Now men are forced to depend upon another, an inferior organ, and one furthermore, which is a, which is wholly inadequate f- to the purpose. I mean, of course, the mind as the seat of his power of reason and understanding. Man by reason cannot know God. He can only know about God. Through the light of reason, certain important facts about God may be discovered. Since, and here he's quoting, since what may be known of God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And that's Romans 1, 19 through 20. Through the light of, of nature, man's moral reason may be enlightened, but the deeper mysteries of God remain hidden to him until he has received illumination from above. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And that's 1 Corinthians 2.14. When the Spirit, and this is the final part, when the Spirit illuminates the heart, then a part of the man sees which never saw before. A part of him knows which never knew before, and that with a kind of knowing which the most acute thinker cannot imitate. He knows now in a deep and authoritative way, and what he knows needs no reason to proof. His experience of knowing is above reason, immediate, perfectly convincing, and inwardly satisfying. That last part is really, that's pretty much the crux, right? And that's, I used to, when I street witnessed, I used to tell people, they'd say, how do you know? And be like, well, the change that happens in me, that has, has happened. I, it, it, just the change that happens within my heart and who I am, the way I speak, the way I behaved, the way I looked at other people was not one of the same condescension, arrogance, and jerkiness that I used to. So, How do you know? Well, it changes you. And I know it has changed me. Reflecting back up above on the previous statements by Tozer, has it it changed me to the point that I know that I'm like completely and steadfastly, I don't know, or absolute, I guess I do have absolute trust in him, but it's the absolute trust to then, if I had true absolute faith, I'd be able to say to that mountain, move, right? <clears throat> There's always that slight doubt if I were to do that. I've thought about that quite a bit. So I don't know if that's, if I'm absolute or not. But anyways, those are just the, the thoughts and the ramblings of me still on a little bit of medication. 
Anyways, I hope you uh, have a wonderful day. Let's just close this up in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for your word. I lift it up to you, and I just pray that your words would go out and, and be fertile, that they would touch others, and that you would be honored and glorified, that they would get to know you more, and that you would be the one that they live for. I just lift up this time. I thank you for, for these friends. I just pray you watch over them and keep them safe. May this be a beginning of a, of a good day and that you would be the one that we live for and that our faith would grow so that we can say to the mountain, move. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a wonderful day.